I don't know about where you are in the room, but up here, we can hear you and hear the voices together. And it's such a glorious and beautiful thing to have. The reason for that is because we were made to worship together. We were made to be in community. We were made for this and for really so much more as well. Because of that, it is all the more striking when any of us experience what it is to be excluded, to be put off, or to be an outcast. Amen? We all know the sting at one point in our lives or another, the sting of wanting to be noticed and not getting noticed, or of wanting to not be noticed for the wrong things and having that be what everybody sees. If you were ever in middle school, you know this all the more. We know what it is like to be on the outside. Even the most popular, the most cool of us, those of us who have been in the in crowd at various parts of our life also know what it is like to be on the outside. For some of us, it is because of something we have done. It is because we voluntarily went into drugs or alcohol and ruined our families. It is because we made choices that hurt other people. It is because we did something that caused others to look at us with scorn. For some of us, it is because the world around us, the culture around us, the people around us decided that some part of us that we have no control over is something that we should be looked down for, whether that be the color of skin, whether that because of the way someone looks or the family they came from. For some of us, we've been on the outside because of what others have done and the cruelty that we've experienced through those around us. We live in a world where cruelty reigns. And as much as we pretend it doesn't or want to pretend that it doesn't, we have moments where we realize there are people around us whose actual intention it is, is to hurt us or to hurt other people. I remember as an adult when I finally came to the conclusion that humanity was not, in fact, good at our core. When I realized speaking to a teenage girl about her father, and for weeks I had been saying, you know, your dad, he, he's just trying to do the best that he can do. He loves you. He cares for you. And then finally I had to admit that he actually was intending to hurt her. We've all been on the outside because we live in a world where the outside often is the normal. We experience this. And friends, we're going to come to a passage today where one such as this, who has been on the outside, comes to Jesus. And I want you to know there is hope for every one of us, whether we're on the outside today or not. You know, you might be here in this church for the first time and, and you're trying to figure out, is this a place I can be? And, and I want to tell you, I hope it is. I hope you're not on the outside of this church in any way. I hope that as you came in, you got talked to and connected with church. If this is your church, these are where this is where you normally worship. I, I pray to God that we would be a people that would cause anybody to walk in from the outside to think, you know what? They may be a little weird. They may be a little different. They may not be exactly what I like, but I know this. I'm loved, and I'm accepted when I walk through those doors. Amen? So church, we're in Matthew chapter 1, we're starting in verse 40, not Matthew, Mark 
chapter 1, starting in verse 40. I want to read this for us. It says this, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but what was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, church, leprosy is a disease that most of us are only vaguely familiar with. Chances are, unless you've done mission work to a few select places in the world, you've never encountered leprosy. It does still exist, although what we think of as leprosy in the world today is only one of around 72 different diseases that were referred to as leprosy back in the day of Jesus. At that time, if you had leprosy, and essentially what a lot of it boiled down to was the loss of feeling in part of your body or skin that then presented itself in visual uh, wounds, visual whiteness of, of spots of skin, uh, various illnesses that would lead to that. But what would ultimately happen is in the loss of feeling in fingers and noses and toes is that you wouldn't know that you got injured. And as a result, you would not tend to those wounds. And before long, infection would take over and your body would slowly in pieces rot away. It was utterly horrific. The physical nature of leprosy and what it meant caused it to be the most feared disease of that day. Leprosy, to be a leper, was a death sentence ultimately because there was no cure. There was no known cause. There was no way to avoid it. and There was no way to heal it after the fact. For all the physical problems that it was to be a leper, far worse, I think, was the societal problems. See, if you were a leper, you were automatically excluded from all things in society. You say, well, what do you mean by all things? I mean all things. As you walk down the road, you would have to yell out the words, unclean, unclean. And you weren't allowed within 50 feet of another human being who didn't already have leprosy. Can you imagine walking down the road and yelling out the worst ailment that you have or the the horrible things about you that you wish nobody would know? You weren't allowed in the stores. You weren't allowed in the temple. You weren't allowed to worship God with the people of God in the house of God. To be a leper was to be utterly excluded from all aspects of life. Now, some of the introverts in the room are like, sign me up. But the reality is that even those of us who cherish being alone, who love alone time, still need and thrive off of time with 
people, especially encouraging people, faithful people, God's people, right? I don't think a single one of us can truly imagine what it would be like to be a leper in Jesus' day. Horrific and horrible. Most of us can't imagine this. Unfortunately, none of us really have to. Even if you were a leper in today's world, it's a different story. Medical science knows a whole lot more about what causes it and how to protect people from it. And, and it's no longer a death sentence and it's no longer something that would keep you completely excluded from those around you. But church, I would dare to guess that all of us have been in these kinds of steps, the footsteps in the shoes of a leper of the day. We have all been diagnosed with a condition that is utterly horrible and reprehensible, one that keeps us away from one another, especially when we need to be with each other, one that causes us to lose our family and our friends, in some cases our jobs and our livelihoods. It is a condition in us that breaks us, and it is the condition of sin. It's no wonder to me as I read through the scriptures and you see this condition pop its head up over and over again that, that it would be on the pages of scripture and that we would be able to read that and that as believers, we would understand that to be a leper is very similar to being a sinner. Sin destroys us in much the same way, rotting away healthy flesh and turning it ugly and awful breaking relationships, causing people to, be, to run away from one another. Church, my challenge as we think about this today is to not just think about the leper in this condition, but to think about us. To think about yourself, not the person sitting next to you, though they're a sinner too. But sometimes it gets really easy to see the ugliness and the dirtiness in someone else, and we need to see it in us. And the reason we need that today is because we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so we're going to look today at a few things. Number one, we're going to start with the leper's position, the leper's heart, his posture in coming before Jesus. Let me read this for us again, just these first, this first verse. It says this, A leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now there's three things I want to highlight in this verse for us. The first is the act of desperation that this must be. For a leper to approach somebody else and speak to them is a bold move. There were punishments for those lepers that didn't follow the rules. And this leper, in an act of desperation, perhaps no hope but the hope he has begun to have in Jesus, right? He's hearing that there's this teacher who is capable of casting out demons. We've been looking at that the last few weeks. And who's capable of healing people's physical ailments. And maybe for the first time in this guy's life since his diagnosis of leprosy, he has hope. He's desperate. So what does he do? He comes to Jesus. He breaks all the rules. And speaking to him, breaking the rules, he comes to him. Church, when we come to Jesus, do we do so in desperation? 
When we come to Jesus in our sin, maybe it's because we sinned last night, or maybe it's because a pattern of sin opened up in front of us, and suddenly we realize that Jesus might be able to help us. No, we realize Jesus is the only one who can help us. We come to him as sinners in desperation because there is no other hope for us. Like this leper, there is no other healing. There's no magic pill that can be taken. There's no therapy classes that are going to successfully move him out of this. Church, we need to come to Jesus in desperation. He's the only hope. So first he comes in desperation and then he comes in a posture of submission. It says that he kneels down in front of him. He shows him this respect. How many of us would ever kneel down in front of someone? Men got married. If you did, maybe you knelt down in front of the woman that you decided you wanted to spend the rest of your life with. Do you know that's an act of submission and respect? And honor to say, I am going to honor you above myself. I'm looking up at you as I ask this question. Because you matter. And what you think matters more than me. This is what it means in traditional marriage. For a man to ask a woman to be his wife. And the Bible tells us that we are meant to submit to one another. To honor one another. Tell you, we don't live in a culture at all where you'd find somebody else kneeling down to anybody else. But this leper kneels down. He submits himself to Jesus in desperation and in submission. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten on your knees before Jesus? I mean, really gotten on your knees before Jesus? Look up at him and say, Jesus, I know you're the solution. I know that I need you. For some of us, we've been going through our whole lives. We've been desperate at various times. We've needed him in our sin. And we've come before him and, and we cry out to him, but we don't do so on our knees. We do so standing up. This leper comes to him and bows down. Church, we need to be a people who bow down to Jesus to submit to what he said. The third thing we see in this, pasture, in this passage here, right? First is desperation. Second is submission. The third thing he comes to Jesus with is a posture of faith. He comes to him with a posture of faith. Look what it says. And I love these words. These words have captivated me since I was a teenager. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Church, there is no doubt in this leper's mind, in this guy's mind, that Jesus can heal him. There is zero doubt. He comes to him, he gets on his knees, he cries out in desperation, and he says, if you will, then you can. Church, what we need to know is that there is nothing in our lives that Jesus can't. Okay? There's nothing in our lives that Jesus can't. There is no problem in our lives. There is no sin too great. There is no tragedy that crushes us in a way that Jesus can't help us, that he can't heal us, that he can't save us. You may be the worst sinner in the room, and I won't even argue with that, though I'm pretty sure that's me. 
that there's nothing in this world, in your life, that Jesus can't do. The leper comes to him and says, if you will, you can make me clean. There is not a shred of doubt in his mind. In church, we are a people who doubt all the time. And that's okay. That's okay, honestly. It's where we are. It's where our hearts are. If that's the case with you today and you're saying, really? Can he really do it? Let me, let me just tell you, let me urge you to say yes. Read through the scriptures with us. See what he can do. Friends, this should be the same posture that we have as we approach God. And I know that it's not always. I know it. And there are times when we come before him and uh, like the father we're going to read about later in a few chapters whose son is possessed by a a demon. He doesn't quite believe, but he says, Jesus, help my unbelief. We need to come to Jesus with faith, a confidence that there is nothing that he can't do. Our faith should constantly be telling us that Jesus can. And let let me share this really clearly. Unless it is a promise that God has made we cannot always assume that what he wants is, or what we want is what he wants. Okay? I want to be really careful here. Because I don't want to say, and I don't want you walking away today saying, well, Pastor Matt said he can and always will heal me. That would be awesome. But we know there are times when he doesn't. We know that there are times when what we want, what we pray for, does not happen. But I will tell you this. Passages like this one give me hope. When I go to him in prayer for healing, for myself, for some of you, I cannot, as I read through Scripture, think of a single time That Jesus encounters someone and doesn't bring them the healing they need. Okay? I can't think of, and I would challenge anybody to think of a time in Scripture when Jesus meets somebody in the street and he does not provide to them the healing that they need. Sometimes that's a different healing than what they want. We're going to look at that actually next in next week's passage a little bit as well. Church, Jesus sometimes wills something different than what we will. He wills something. He wants something for us different than we want. And I think of a couple passages that stand out to me. Number one is the Apostle Paul. He prays, it tells us that he prays three times that the thorn in his flesh would be removed. But he is convinced by that, that that it will not happen because God doesn't want it to happen. Why? Because God wills something for his life different than what he wills. He wants it removed. God wants it to make him holy. Again, we can think about other times when Jesus had the power to move, the power to act, but didn't. A great example of that is on the cross. Jesus had the power, the strength, the ability to take himself off the cross. He had the power, the strength, and the ability to defeat everyone who put him up there. But what does he do instead? He wills the salvation of humankind more than he wills to remove himself from the cross. Thereby, we are saved. 
One of the things we saw last week, I'll bring us back to our passage. This is one of the reasons we preach all the way through a book of the Bible is because it gives us the chance to bounce back and forth to what we've seen and what we will see. Verse 38, last week's passage, it says, And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus declared his purpose. It is primarily to preach. It is not to heal. Church, what I want you to know today, what I want us to rest in is this truth, that Jesus cares more about our broken souls than he does about our broken bodies. And I say that knowing that some of us are getting older and that our bodies are breaking down. Some of us have ailments that we didn't have. I say that in the world of knowing that I've got a kid that we're trying to figure out a medical mystery for. That nobody can give us answers. Here's what I know. I know that God cares more about our broken souls than he does about our broken bodies. And if in this life he chooses not to heal you or your loved ones, rest assured in this fact, snap of the finger is this life. A snap of the finger is this life in comparison to eternity in Christ. And if our bodies aren't healed in this life, guess what? The promise is made that he will heal us into the next. So whatever it is in our lives that that we just feel like is crushing us and wearing us down and broken, church, he may be using those things to bring us to glory, to holiness, to patience, to confidence, and, and strength in him. The leper comes to him and says, if you will, you can make me well. Absolutely, Jesus can make him well. But it was a question about whether or not he would. It's a question about whether or not he would. And church, here's the awesome thing. In this passage, and over and over again, when people come to Jesus, that's what Jesus does. Some of us have experienced physical healing. Some of us have waited for physical healing our whole lives. Jesus cares more about our broken souls than he does about our broken bodies. And that brings us to the second thing we're going to look at today, and that is a look at Jesus' heart and his compassion in this passage. We're going to start in verse 41 here. To look at Jesus' heart and his compassion. Here's what it says. It says, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. That is a loaded I will, isn't it? Like, not only is he about to do it or doing it in that moment, but he's literally declaring that his will is to heal this guy. What we see first in our passage in this bit is that Jesus has pity. It says, verse 40 to 41, and I love this, it says, moved with pity, right? It's not just that he has some pity. He is moved by it, right? We are a people who often experience pity for others but are never moved by it. To be moved by pity is to decide that you're going to respond to the pity that you have for someone. It means that you feel their pain, their hurt, their brokenness, and instead of just letting it happen, you must involve yourself in it in some ways. That's what it means when it says Jesus was moved by pity. This passage is also sometimes translated as moved with anger. 
And how true is it that when we feel real pity for someone, that we get angry about the things that cause the pain, that cause the hurt. And you can picture this in Jesus. He's the creator of all things. He made everything perfectly. He made the human body to not be leprous. And he's encountered by this broken man standing in front of him who's, who knows, his body parts might literally be falling off. And he's moved. He's moved. Now, his compassion is demonstrated in one of the most powerful ways ever. It says this. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. Now, we know Jesus has the power to heal without touch, right? It's not that, like he's passing some kind of healing energy from his skin into the skin of another human being. That's, that's not what, how Jesus heals. Jesus has the power to heal this guy by just simply saying, you are healed now. He spoke the world into existence. He can speak this guy into, clean, into a clean bill of health, right? But what does he do? He touches him. And there's something really powerful in that because if you were a leper, then it's pretty likely that you haven't been touched by another human being in years, depending on how old this guy is and how long he's had leprosy, decades. Can you imagine what it would be like to just never have any human touch? Jesus is moved by this guy and his, his life, his story, his situation. He reaches out and he touches him. Now, in that moment, according to Jewish law, Jesus is now unclean, right? To touch a leper, to touch even the clothing of a leper, to touch something a leper touched sometime recently would be to be unclean, to be made unclean. Jesus reaches out his hands in an instant, according to ceremonial law, he is now unclean himself. But what we know is that that's not really what happens in this moment. Jesus reaches out, he touches him, and the guy becomes more like Jesus than Jesus becomes like him. He's made clean. And Jesus certainly doesn't gain leprosy from this moment. He has the power to heal it. What we see in this is very much the gospel. As Christ would come to us in the incarnation, take on human flesh, take on human life, and eventually take on the sins of the world so that we could be healed. Jesus is moved by pity for this leper church. What we need to know is that as sinners, broken sinners in this world, Jesus was moved by pity for us. And I know, but we don't want to be a people who get pitied. Never in my life do I want to be pitied, right? I mean, that's not some Church, we need to cherish this. That Christ would pity us in our condition so much that he would move and act and do what he needs to do to fix it. Church, what we see in our passage here is that Jesus wants to cleanse this man. And let me tell you, I think this is something that I can say universally. Jesus wants to cleanse you. Jesus wants to cleanse you. His words here, I will be clean, is not only for this leper in this moment. It is for every single one of us. 
It's for all of us. I will be clean. The interesting thing that we find in our passage is that we often talk about Jesus healing the leper. But at no point in our passage is the word healing used. You notice that? The leper is, in fact, healed of his leprosy. He doesn't even ask for healing. He actually asks for cleansing. But for the leper's plea to be answered, he has to be healed by Jesus first. Because as long as he has leprosy, he's unclean, according to Jewish law and according to the ceremonies of the temple. So he has to be clean, and Jesus heals him. This isn't the first time, the only time you see somebody ask for something and Jesus gives them something else. But the healing had to have taken place. He cannot be clean while he still has the visual, the active signs of brokenness in his life. And church, the same thing is true for us. We are not clean if we still have the active and the visual signs of the brokenness of sin reigning in our lives. Jesus paid the price on the cross so that we can walk away from the cross clean. And hear this, it does not matter how many times you sin. We bring that to the cross, and you know what happens? We come away clean. Over and over again. And that church, just hear this, is not a license to say, well, if he's just going to forgive me, I might as well just do what I want to do. We come to the cross and he makes us new. See, healing is the first part of what happens when somebody is cleansed. There's a second part that happens when we are cleansed, and that is that we are restored. Here's what it says in verse 43 through 44. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing for your cleansing, what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now what Jesus is saying here is, all right, you've been healed. The leprosy is gone. Now what you need to do is go to the temple, go to the priests, and there's some things you need to do in order to be restored back to the community. There were some offerings that would need to be made. There were some sacrifices that would need to be made. The priests literally would do a medical examination of them. In that moment, I just have to say, thank God I'm not a priest and I'm a pastor. If you have leprosy, I'm not doing a medical examination on you. Okay? But they would go, and, and there was this whole list of things they would need to do. Jesus says, go do those things. Why? Because Jesus cares as much about this guy being restored back to the community as he does about healing him. He wants the best for this man. Offer what Moses commanded. Honor the law. Go to the temple. In doing so, he is proclaiming his thanks to God for the healing that's come. He's also going to have an opportunity to share what Jesus done, because you can guarantee the priests who never see anybody get healed from this are going to say, well, what'd you do? Right? He's got an opportunity to be thankful. He's got an opportunity to proclaim about this guy named Jesus. And what he does is gets, he's given the gift to be restored back to the community, back to his family. He's given the gift of being restored back to the temple, to worship, worship of God with the people of God in the house of God. It's a beautiful thing. 
It's a beautiful thing. He is, in doing so, restored to community. So here's what it says, verse 45, and this is a bit troubling to me. It says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Jesus gives him a command, and then Mark highlights what he does by using the word but. Did he go? Did he go to the temple and, and, and get cleansed and, and get permission to be part of the community again? Or did he just, in his joy of being healed, go out and just start telling everybody about Jesus? don't know. There's no sign in the text that he actually did what was required to be healed. And church, when I think about that, I think about the fact that so many of us often do the same exact thing. Jesus comes into our life and he speaks a word of grace or mercy to us. We begin seeing him and we run out the door in excitement. But we never actually begin doing what he says to do. He says, you can be restored. And we're like, bye, I don't care about that. I just wanted healing. I just wanted the word of comfort from you. Without the full restoration, he would be healed, but he would still have to act like a leper. Church, without us being restored, we might be forgiven, but we're still going to be acting like the sinners that we are. How often are we healed by Christ? We receive forgiveness, mercy, grace from Christ, but then let that be the end of the story. Someone once told a story about an orphan boy who had spent his entire life begging on the street corner for bread. Finally, one glorious day, a rich family sees him and says, you know what, we're going to adopt you. And they bring him into their home and they dress him with nice clothes and they give him a bedroom and they show him where the kitchen is and they open the refrigerator and there's food everywhere. The next morning, the little orphan kid wakes up and he puts on his old clothes and he goes out to the street and he begs for bread. That's what it is to be a Christian who doesn't live into the new life that we've been given. That's exactly what this leper might be doing. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. As he receives the healing from Jesus, but then doesn't do what he says. Christ does not want us to only be forgiven, to only be, at the very beginning, cleansed. He wants our full restoration back into relationship with God, back into relationship with each other, and even with ourselves. He wants to build what's called a shalom, a peace in us. And it only comes, it only comes when we've not only tasted of his grace and mercy, but we feasted on it. And so the leper who had come to Jesus in desperation, 
the leper who had come to Jesus in submission and with faith ends this story in a very different place. Commentator Sinclair Ferguson writes this. He says, he was the epitome of the person who comes to Jesus for salvation, but then refuses to submit to Jesus because he believes he really knows best how to live his own life. He thinks he knows better. He thinks he has a better plan than Jesus does. And church, I got to say, we do this. We do this every time that, that Jesus calls us to himself and we say yes until we get to that bit of scripture or that bit where the Holy Spirit is working in us and we say no. And we look at this, it makes all the sense in the world to this guy, right? He's just been healed. This is the most amazing day of his entire life. This is better than being bored. Of course he wants to go tell everybody. Of course, you think about this, he's, he's a leper. He's been living in a leper colony. He knows every leper for 100 miles. And what is he thinking? I could go tell them. Hey, guys, there's hope in this guy named Jesus. You too can find healing in Jesus. And he runs out the door and he goes and he does that, but he ignores Jesus' words to him. He said, don't go tell anyone. He says, tell no one. You say, well, of course he went and told everybody. That's what I would do. Yes, it is what you should do. But this leper was told by Jesus, who had just healed him of the worst thing in his life, don't tell anyone. The first thing he does is disobey that command. Church, the result of that we actually see in our passage here. It says this in verse 45, because of this, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Church, there's a reason Jesus tells him to be quiet, and it's because Jesus knows that if people knows that he can heal leprosy, he's never going to have another moment for his first things for preaching the word of God. Because people are going to be seeking him, and they're not seeking him for the right reasons. They're just seeking him for the healing they think he can give. And like this leper, may not stick around for the rest. He could no longer openly enter a town. A number of weeks ago, we looked at the passage, the story about John the Baptist called to prepare the way for Jesus. Here's the deal. The leper does the exact opposite. He actually makes he harder. He hinders the way of Jesus. Church, we want to be a people who make straight the paths, who prepare the way for Jesus in people's lives, right? To do that, it means we must Give ourselves over to him. We must do what he's called us to do. We must do life like he's called us to do. We want to make it easier. Now, I do want to highlight one small unintended consequence here. And it's one that I pray that would encourage all of us as we think about this. This leper goes out and disobeys Jesus, and what happens tells us the end of verse 45. Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every 
quarter. Church, as hard as that was, what that means is that in disobedience, Jesus would still use this to draw people to himself. Last week, we found out that when Jesus was overwhelmed and overworked, and busy what he would do. Verse 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus would go looking for his father in that desolate place. Church, here's what happens after this man disobeys. When he proclaims Jesus, is the people would go out and look for Jesus where he was, and they would find him in the place Jesus wanted to be with his father. I share that because here's the reality we need to to accept and to take joy in. He's told not to speak, and it draws people to Jesus. You and I, we're told to speak. Do we really think it's not going to draw people to Jesus? Right? If he can use the disobedient guy to bring people to him, guess what? He can use us in our faithfulness and obedience to what he said for us to do, to do the same thing, to draw people to him. That excites me. I, I get uncomfortable when I think about sharing my faith with people who aren't Christians, with random people in my life. Newsflash, pastors experience that too. But here's... Here's what we see. We see God working through it. In church, we are a people who have been healed, cleansed, restored, back into relationship with God through Christ. Amen? And we are a people who are not given the instructions to remain silent about our what's happened to us and about what Jesus has done. Amen? Do we believe that God will work in that? We need to. We need to. Amen? Church, let us come to Jesus. Let us trust in Jesus. He wants more for you than to just speak some grace and mercy and forgiveness for you. He wants to restore you and make you new. And that's what we do here together at church. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I just need to tell you right now, today is the day. Give your life to him. If you've been sitting on that fence, tasting of his grace and his mercy, and you need to come before Jesus forever, and feast on his grace and mercy, on his love, then today's the day. If the Holy Spirit's moving in you right now, and you say, you know what, I've been a part of church for a long time, and I've had a lot of free samples. But today I want something more. I want to know what it's like to truly be cleansed, to truly be restored, then today's the day. I invite you to come Come forward to me during communion or after. Turn to the person next to you or near you that you think loves Jesus and say to them, hey, I want to love Jesus too. How do I do that? The person next to you can probably help with that. Church, we, we want to extend that invitation to all of us here today. We need it. We need it. So again, if you have never come to Jesus, you've never given your life to him, then today, the Spirit's moving in you. Come speak with me. Come pray with me. Come forward and let us celebrate what God is doing in you.